Before we get started, I, I, want, I want to pray really quickly for um, Jacqueline, Rodney's wife. Um, he was just texting me, and she just had a little bit of an um, EKG they were concerned about, and she's in the hospital tonight for observation. And so um, I told him, we're going to pray for Jacqueline tonight, and he, he would really appreciate your prayers for that. So let me just pray real quick, and then we'll get started. Father, um, we just thank you for Rodney and Jacqueline, and just pray right now your comfort over them, your peace over them. Um, I'll just pray, Lord, that you'll help them, um, the medical personnel, just to be, just to figure out what's going on, um, and just pray for healing for her, and just, again, for peace over them, calm, trust, and healing. We love you, Lord, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Alex, did you do the thing? Okay. Thank you. We'll edit that. We'll edit that. Okay, so where are we in the redemptive story? Tonight, we finish up the Sinai period, and next week, we go on to the king. So if you'll remember, C is for creation, A is for, and S, okay. So we're tracing God's plan, his redemptive plan through the Old Testament, Of course, you know in the fall, we'll move on to the New Testament. But let's start with where are we now? So God created the world as he designed it to be, in wholeness and in peace. Peace between humanity and God. Peace between humanity. Peace within ourselves. And peace with the creation. And then, of course, we know that Adam and Eve um, broke the one rule that God gave them. And sin and pain, and disease, and all of those things were ushered into our world. But we get a glimpse, we get a glimpse of Jesus, we get a glimpse of the redemptive plan in Genesis 3.15, when it says that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So Adam and Eve are forced to leave Eden, Sin spreads, humanity becomes so evil that God sends a flood to destroy humans apart from one family, Noah's family. Ten generations later, a man named Abraham is called by God and some promises are made to him. If you have your timeline, grab that and let's review the promises that God made to Abraham. What were the promises that God made to Abraham? His descendants would be like the stars in the sky. He would have many descendants. He'd be the father of many nations. Yes. What else? God will be with him. God's presence will be with him. And the last one. Kings. He, kings would come from him and he would have a land. Yes. Very good. The promised land. 
God chose a barren couple, Abraham and Sarah. And by a miracle, at age 90, Sarah had a son, Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. His name was changed to Israel, and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Through injustice in the life of Joseph, they end up in Egypt. Their numbers grow. Their numbers grow. And the new Pharaoh, who has no loyalty to the Israelites, begins to fear them. And he enslaves them. So now they're an enslaved people. But God raises up a leader named Moses. And Moses leads them out of Egypt. The Red Sea is parted. And they end up at Mount Sinai. God does amazing miracles to rescue them. Then he gives them the law. The people make a golden calf, but they repent. God forgives them. They make the trip to the promised land. And when the people reach the promised land, they want to send in spies to scout out the land. But 10 out of the 12 spies come back with a bad report. The land is flowing with milk and honey, but the people are like giants. To punish them for their lack of trust, they're made to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies. But God is with them in the tabernacle, and now they're becoming a settled people. God is making them into a great nation. So a nation needs people. Their numbers multiplied, so they have people. Check. A nation needs laws and customs. We read about those in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They need to know how to worship God and live in covenant with him. Check. We learned all about the, sacrifi the sacrificial system in Leviticus. And they need a land. And that is going to be part of our conversation today. So our bottom line for today, God fulfills his promise of land to his people and calls them to be a settled people living in covenant loyalty, choosing life and blessing. And today we're going to talk about the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' retelling of the law, the book of Joshua, who are the Canaanites, and why couldn't they remain in the promised land? Where do we see Jesus? And we're going to end with a challenge to remember God's faithfulness. So here the people are at the entrance to the promised land. And in the book, we see that in the book of Deuteronomy. They have the Ark of the Covenant going before them, and the Israelites again are moving from a nomadic people to a settled people. Deuteronomy, the book, that word means second law. And Moses is at the end of his life. And for the last 40 years, I imagine he's thought and pondered and reflected on God's laws and on what God is doing amongst the people. And now he speaks his last words to the people. The book of Numbers represents around 38 years, and the book of Deuteronomy, more like one day, okay? The book of Deuteronomy has three parts, Moses' sermons, the law, and more sermons. So it's basically one long sermon from Moses. Um, who's he talking to? He's speaking to the children of the Israelites who received the law 
at the Mount Sinai. He's talking to the children of the parents who doubted God and were punished to wonder in the wilderness for 40 years. So he's talking to those children. And a journey, remember, the journey that could have taken 11 days took 40 years. But the doubting generation has now all died. So Moses is communicating the law to the younger generation. Laws that are in the context, again, of being a settled people. And these laws are meant to create a people that stand out among the nations. A morally pure people who are in relationship with the one true God. And there's a distinct identity that God's chosen people should have as they live according to God's design. And this is important. If the Israelites obey the law, then they will look different than the nations around them. They'll be wise. They'll have understanding. Would someone read this verse, please? This is from Deuteronomy 4, 5 to 7. It's on the screen, so you can just read it from the screen. Jen, Jen, Jen. It's not on. Okay, there it is. Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations, just as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I'm giving you today? Question. How does this look today? Who reflects God to the world now? We don't have a relationship with God as a nation. The United States is not trying to reflect God to the world, right? So how do we reflect God to the world now? The church. The church. Today we have a collective relationship with God as the church. The universal church is defined as all believers for all time. And as we follow the spirit of God and obey his will as a collective people, we reflect God and we help people find and follow Jesus. And it happens the same way it did at this time, through obedience. Obedience at that time was obedience to the law. And for us, it's obedience by the spirit. So the Israelites have been living as a traveling camp, if you'll remember, the tabernacle in the middle and all the tribes organized around them. And now, this at the end of the book of Joshua, this is how they look. This is their tribal allotment. So you see, it's a very different context that they're getting ready to go into. So the purpose of the law is not only for how to worship, in a covenant relationship with God, but also how people relate to one another. So you'll see laws about marriage, about family, about how to live in community together. Um, and some of them maybe don't make a lot of sense to us, do they? Because the, the, near ancient, the ancient Near East culture is just so different, so different. 
um, to, to what our modern and our Western minds um, can, can grasp and understand. Um, a, f- a couple of days ago, I read that it was against the law to flush a toilet after 10 p.m. in an apartment complex in Switzerland. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know why. Because I'm not Swiss. Uh, that's a bad example, but, but you, but you get what I'm saying. Um, I think it's because of the noise. I think you get a fine because of the noise. I did, I did do that research. Um, but my point is, sometimes it's hard to understand this culture and the context and some and what some of these laws are. And as we read the scripture, we always have to be careful not to study and interpret eisegetically which means that we inject our own culture. We inject our own thoughts into the text. We read our own interpretations. We bring our own experiences into the text. Instead, we read exegetically, which means that we interpret the passages with historical context, with original meaning, and we always think about the author's intent as we interpret the scripture. By the way, even the language... This is written in the original. This is written originally in Hebrew. So there are even nuances and hyperbole that sometimes we don't understand. And as I was doing research these past couple of weeks, some commentators are of the opinion um, that in the language, when they say things like destroyed them all or no one left breathing, that this is taunting language. It's exaggerated language used in that culture. And I was trying to think of a current example for that. And I was thinking if years later someone read something from what was written today and it said, man, Georgia killed TCU in the national championship game. (laughs) That might be an example of exaggerated language. But again, my point is that a culture that is far from what we understand, um, we really have to think about that and take that into consideration as we study. Also, if we read these laws and we don't think about where they are in the redemptive story, then that these laws are for a certain time, for a certain purpose, um, then we can also misinterpret the scripture. And sometimes the laws are only half steps back to the garden. In other words, God is giving a very fallen humanity laws to help them move back toward his original design. But we knew, he knew that the culture couldn't change all at once, right? It couldn't change all at once. So he met them where they are. He's slowly shaping them into a nation that reflects him. Some of the laws are meant to keep them from looking like the cultures around them, like the laws about the cutting of the hair in Deuteronomy 14.1. There were certain hairstyles that were associated with the religious practices of the culture surrounding them. And God does not want the Israelites to look like the cultures around them. Some laws are meant to create a flourishing community where people are treated with dignity as image bearers. We saw that in Deuteronomy 15. And that's going to be our next table discussion. So table discussion two, we have three questions. What do you learn about the laws put into place by God to prevent poverty and mistreatment of his people? You might also look at Leviticus 25. What does this reveal about God's heart for justice and care? And how does this challenge you personally? Okay. Let's share a little bit. 
Let's share a little bit. Would any, would any of your tables like to just share maybe something significant that you talked about? And we, we will bring the microphone to you so that we... Was it 10 minutes? Well, I went and put on lipstick. I went and had some apple enchilada, as I called it on the email. I thought it was probably 10 minutes. He's giving me a hard time. Um, what did you guys talk about at your tables? <laughs> Anything you'd like to share with the whole group? I, you know, this is part of the co-learning experience is that we can share and, like, gain from each other the, the wisdom that each of us has. Dale and then Beth can, you can, next, you can, Dale back in the back. You know, it's interesting. These instructions were given to what was basically a closed society. The Jews had a common foundation in their relationship with the Lord and their relationship with one another, the commonality of some mm -hmm. relationship, kinship. So would those, if, if you think about those rules working in that environment, how do you apply it to a larger environment? In other words, what is the application for these rules in the way that we live today? Mm, is there application question. or mm -hmm. is it merely interesting historical information? What is the population, the demographic that this would apply to and how does it apply? So mm. those are kind of the questions that came up. That's great. Good questions. Great questions. We talked, actually, and I think this goes hand in hand with that. Um, Barbara made the point that it's not just the duty of the law, but also the heart of mm. the law and the heart you should have in obeying. That, And we talked about when you let your slave go at the end of six years, you furnish them liberally from your flock. <laughs> you know, yes. it's not just give them what they can to get by. It's with a heart of generosity. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, uh, Andrew was talking about the, you know, nobody can follow all of these things perfectly. Mm -mm. Um, and in the New Testament, you know, that's why we have Jesus. We can't follow the law perfectly. Mm -hmm. But that attitude in, you know, that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes of, like, it's deeper than just following the rules. Mm -hmm. It is heart change and it's heart attitude. So that's yeah. kind of where our Very conversation Very good. Was. Nice. Anybody else want to share? Anybody else? Okay. Okay. I, I wonder if this is God's way of reminding them that this land was freely given to you. You didn't earn this land. I mm -hmm. gave everything you have to you in the promised mm -hmm. land. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want you to cling to it. So how yeah. do we apply that today? God gives freely to us, mm -hmm. and we should give freely. Yeah. Maybe it's not land. It's mm -hmm. whatever God gives us. We didn't earn it. We were just given it right. by Good his point. grace. Good point. Good point. Um, and I do think, you know, in the, church, in the church environment here at New City, you know, we have our care ministry, and we have a Barnabas fund that you can, um, you know, give to. And when people need help here within this body, that Barnabas Fund is what we use to help them, whether it be 
to pay bills, whether it be, you know, whatever. So our, I would say our care ministry, um, you know, tries very hard to care for this body and meet the needs of this body as we can. Okay, awesome, great. Um, that's lots more we could say about that, um, but that's great. So at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land. And that's, I'm sad about that. (laughs) I'm sad about that. Um, But God in his grace does allow him to stand at the top of Mount Nebo. And he gives him a beautiful panoramic view. Um, And of course we know that's because of his rebellion from Numbers 20. Um, And as we say goodbye to Moses, a great leader. In fact, the scripture says Israel will never have a leader Again, like Moses, we say hello to Joshua. So we're moving on to Joshua. Joshua is appointed as the new leader. And remember, he was one of the spies. He was one of the two spies that brought back a report to trust God. Caleb was the other, so there was an exception made. Um, Joshua and Caleb did get to go into the promised land. Joshua 1, 1 to 3, after the death of Moses the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. So from homework question four, what might Joshua be feeling right now? What might Joshua be feeling right now? Scared. Scared. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Prepared. Prepared. Determined. Determined. Alone. Alone. Weak. Mm. Comforted because he's talking to God just as Moses did. Yes. Joshua missing Moses. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Privileged communication between Joshua and God. Liam. Ooh, joyful, happy. What was that last part, Liam? Get nervous and scared. Nervous and scared. What was that other last part? Uh, yet he should take action to God's repeated word, be strong and courageous. He should take action to God's word to him to be strong and courageous. Very good. Thank you. God did give him a lot of assurance, a lot of affirmation. So the land that God promised Abraham 678 years ago is finally before their eyes. They've waited a really long time to take possession of the land that God promised them. By the way, Israel is not a superior force to the people in the land of Canaan. Remember what the spies said. They're like giants. Rather... 
They'll have to depend on God. They'll have to trust God. And it's God's extraordinary intervention. That's how they win the battles. That's how they win the battles. God did the fighting for them. Their job was to obey him. Who are the Canaanites? Well, they're descendants of Noah's grandson, Canaan, the son of Ham. And remember that Noah cursed the line of Canaan because of an evil thing Ham did to Noah. We also know what kind of evil practices that they engage in because God tells the Israelites in Leviticus 18 and 19 things that they are not to practice and do because these are the things that the people in the land of Canaan do. And I've got a list here. Idolatry, murder, incest, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, necromancy, fortune-telling, witchcraft, drinking blood, consulting mediums, child sacrifice, oppression of the poor, mistreatment of refugees, legal injustice, disrespect of elders, and cursing of parents. (sighs) Breathe a little. Okay, so... So the Canaanites must be driven out of the land. They must be defeated. And there are a few points I want to make. Um, Because, again, sometimes it's hard for our Western minds to understand, you know, why God would lead the Israelites to take possession of a land that's already inhabited by nations. But let me just remind you, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. God is just as loving and gracious in the Old Testament, as he is the New Testament. He's also holy. He's also just. And all of those things are are God's character. Okay? The points I want to make, the first one is, um, this is God's land. He can give it to who he pleases. Uh, and this is the promised inheritance that the Israelites have been hearing about their whole lives. Their whole lives they've been hearing about that. And you know, at some point we have to just be humble. We have to know our position as the created and not the creator. He's God. The second point is the people of the land cannot remain there because their idolatrous practices will cause the Israelites to turn away from God, which That happens a little later um, because all of the people weren't driven from the land. But they can't coexist. Peace treaties are are an opportunity, but only the Hivites um, pursued a peace treaty with Israel. The third point, the invasion of Canaan is a specific action at a specific point for a specific theological purpose. So this this is not a repeatable command Um, This is only acceptable at this time because God commands it. Warfare isn't the standard or the permanent fixture in Israel's history. It's a specific action at a specific time for a specific theological purpose. And last, oh, and fourth, not lastly, fourth, this is God's divine judgment on the Canaanites. God is bringing his judgment to the Canaanites. It isn't about destroying a people. It's about destroying darkness, evil, and idolatry. Idolatry is highly, highly offensive to God. It's the first commandment that he gives us that we should not put any other gods before him. And we even see in the time of Abraham in Genesis... Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Oh, 
There it is. In Genesis 15, 13 to 16, even back in Abraham's time, we see that God had plans to bring judgment to the Amorites. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their, dis- their destruction. So God planned to bring judgment to the Amorites in the future when their sin had reached a certain level, and that time has now arrived. Lastly, foreigners are invited to believe in the one true God and join the Israelites. Rahab is an example of that. Uh, And in fact, if you read in Matthew 1, the genealogy, you'll see that Rahab is the mother of Boaz, the mother-in-law of Ruth. The book of Ruth, by the way, is also included in the Sinai period. And so these are two women who are foreigners who are in the lineage of Christ. Paul Copan in his book, Is God a Moral Monster, says, God's overarching goal was to bring blessing and salvation to all the nations, including the Canaanites, through Abraham. The covenant God made with Abraham is unique in its sweeping, outside-oriented, universally directed nature. It is unlike any other religious movement. Yet, for a specific Relatively short and strategic period, God sought to establish Israel in the land with a view to fulfilling this long-term global plan of redemption. God would simultaneously punish a wicked people ripe for judgment. Not doing so would have erased humankind's only hope for redemption. So if God's leading the Israelites to live his way, to stand out, among the nations, and to live in covenant relationship with him, could they coexist? I don't think so. I don't think it would work. The big picture plan of God sending a Messiah from the nation of Israel depends on the nation of Israel being a nation. All right, now let's move on to where do we see Jesus? Where do we see Jesus? He's always there. He's always there. Would someone read Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Right, I probably don't need this. Moses continued, see, I don't need this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourself requested of the Lord your God, When you were assembled at Mount Sinai, you said, Don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God any more or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, What they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. Mm-hmm. So Moses is prophesying about a future prophet. A prophet 
that the Lord will raise up, who will be like Moses. Remember, Moses God used to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And Jesus also uh, rescues us from the slavery that we have with sin and with death. From among the people, he will be one of them. Jesus will be from the nation of Israel. He will be one of the people. This prophet would command attention from the people. He would speak and they will listen. It says, according to what you requested. And what this means is that the coming prophet would also be the mediator between God and man. And this prophet is rejected at great penalty. Those who reject Jesus won't have eternal life. So Jesus is that prophet. Um, with, does somebody have their scripture? Could they open up to Acts 3, 19 to 26 and read that? Acts 3, 19 to 26. Someone near a microphone. Got it. Bob's got it here. Thank you. 3, 19 to 26. Mm-hmm. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that, the, that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will, completely, will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. Thank you. That's okay. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. Mm. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Mm -hmm. When God raised up his servant, he sent him here, sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Mm, thank you. That's Acts 3, 19 to 26, if you want to write that down. So we're on the other side of the story. And we know what Jesus' resurrection has changed and what it has done. So we're going to move into a learning activity. You'll see um, this little poster board on your tables. And what I want you to do, I apologize. I kind of changed the instructions a little bit. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you the little change real quick. So then means kind of our position with God, our relationship with God, what it looked like at this time where we're studying in the culture at this time. Now is what we experience, what our position is, what our relationship with God looks like now. Um, and I was going to give you a list of words, but then I thought you guys would probably come up with better words than, than I would. So I'll give you a couple of examples. On the then side, you could say something about the animal sacrifice. And on the now side, you would say that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Or you might on the then side say they lived by the law. And on the now side, you would say we live by the spirit. So is there any questions about that activity? 
then and now. Give you, I'll give you about 10 minutes, and then we'll share. Okay, we're going to uh, scribe some of this up on the board here. Um, Michaela's going to do the then. Could somebody do the now? Could I have somebody do the now? All right, Liam, you can come up and do the now. Okay, so let's share a little bit. Um, and Michaela, you're the then, and Liam, you're the now. Okay, what did you guys come up with? And what I'll do, instead of passing the microphone, I'm going to repeat what you say so that it's captured in the audio. You put the ones up there you gave us first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then um, atonement through animal sacrificed, and then now the sufficient, perfect sacrifice that Jesus was. Yep. And then live by the law, live by the Spirit. Thank you, Carol. Okay. They didn't have a complete copy of, yeah, they probably, they didn't have a copy of the scripture. It was all oral, right? Uh, And now we have the complete revelation of God to us. Good. That's a good one. Vince? Uh, Hoping for a savior versus hoping for a friend. Mmm. Oh, my. I'm I'm so happy right now. Hoping for the Savior then, hoping for his return now. Okay. Back then, you had to basically perform a ritual to approach God. Everything had to be perfect, but now we can approach him with boldness. Yes. We, now we approach with boldness, then, yeah, there was cleansing, rich, yeah, all the rituals, good. Keith? Can I get a bell ring? <laughs> it depends. I, it, it really depends. Uh, then we were condemned by the law, but now we're under grace and salvation. Mm, con- then condemned by the law, now under grace and salvation. I will, I will give you a... Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Now we have that direct relationship. Yeah. Whereas before it was more of an indirect, right? Yeah. They didn't. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them the way that we do. Yeah. Yeah. But now we're living in peace uh, with God through Christ. Beautiful. She's gone to different churches than I have. <laughs> <laughs> then, did you hear, then they're agitated. Kathy, you said agitated, dis- unsettled, disoriented. Now we get the blessing of living 24-7 in peace. 24-7. And peace and joy. <laughs> joy and peace, peace and joy. Sarah? We got a new one. Obligation versus choice. Obligation versus choice. 
Carrie. Very good. Say that one more time so I can make sure I say it right. Israel, Israel was in need of a land. In need of a land then, and now we're promised our citizenship is in heaven. Yep, and, and you know what? I didn't tell you that rule. Um, but you can have the same thing in both columns. <laughs> saved by faith before, saved by faith now. So I just opened up, a, you can turn the page over. You can start, do, I mean, you can, you can start, Kevin. <laughs> find some peace, find some peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Looking forward to the promised land. Looking forward to the promised land now. Um, but, yeah, some things like obey, obey. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. I would add, like, covenant based on obedience to law mm-hmm. versus covenant based on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Based on our, yeah, yeah. Very good. All right. Awesome. Any, anything else? Any other observations about this? Betty. Oh, Betty. They were, uh, they were concerned about cultural influences, and so were we. So were we. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was, yeah, idolatry. Just looks different. Just looks different. Very good. This is exciting. This is so exciting. Um, anything else before we move on? The temple went from a building to, to the Bible. <gasps> <laughs> and, and we had the tabernacle along with the temple. So did y'all. The temple went from a building to the body. Very good. Very good. Gosh. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are amazing. <sighs> my, little, my heckler right here, Don. No, I'm kidding. Um, awesome. Thank y'all. Thank you, Liam. Appreciate it. Thank you, Michaela. Um, that, was, that was fun. That was cool. And maybe before you leave, we'll ta- you, know, you could come up and take a picture, and I'll take a picture, and I'll, I can email it to you guys. Um, oh, Sarah took a picture. So after they conquered the seven nations with God as their commander, they had peace. And then Joshua and the high priest Eleazar die. <clears throat> oh, I must not have a slide. And Joshua 31, 34-31 says, The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. And then, of course, we know after that comes the, comes the judges. And we just had an amazing sermon series on the judges. So, so what is that cycle 
in those days. Remember? What is the cycle of the judges? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people turn away from God. God raises up a judge. The people repent. And then it starts all over. And, and, and God raised up 12 judges. And they had this cycle going on for four or 500 years. And Joshua 21, 25 sums up those years. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And all of the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And then, of course, we go into the kings after that. But I do want to talk for just a moment. I got out the, the old golden calf again. I do want to talk just a little bit about idolatry. Um, so I think we have time to go back to our tables for just a few minutes Um, and I would like for you to discuss what is it about idolatry in that culture that, that made it so appealing and so tempting? So talk about that first. Like, what is it about idolatry? Why do the people turn to idolatry? What is it that is so appealing to them about creating an idol and worshiping it? And then secondary, the second question is, yeah, how does that look today? How does idolatry look today? Give you about maybe, maybe like seven minutes to talk about that. Okay, first question. Why is idolatry so appealing to that culture? What is it about idolatry that's so appealing to that culture? It's easy. It's what everybody around them does. There's no accountability. There's no accountability. You can do, you can, all that list of, of, of uh, practices, you, yeah, you can do all those, no accountability. It's all about me. Attempt to control. Right? You can control your life by appeasing the gods. You don't have to be under the authority of, of, of a God. So, I guess that table's kind of rogue table. But <laughs> rogue we, table. We started out that way, but then we immediately switched to our culture does the same. We are all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. There really is the, the idols just look different, right? Yeah, they have a different name. Mm-hmm. They have a different name, yeah. <laughs> Anything else about the idols in, in that culture? in the ancient Near East culture that we're studying. They were usually something tangible, physical, or bird, or fish. Yeah, something tangible they could see, they could create. (laughs) The sun, the moon, the stars, yeah. We talked about the creating it, but they make that. So they are in power over the God. That's right. They, They have the power. Yeah, they're making the idol. Right. What about today? As Janet says, it's sti- we still lust. Mm-hmm. That list you read off in Leviticus yep. sounds like today. Sounds like today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Any other thoughts on idolatry today? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Labeling yourself outside of your identity that God gave you. Yeah. To the point of calling it defining yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Defining yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Same as idolatry in the in the cult in the culture of of um, judges. All right. Deuteronomy 6, 4-5 says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your, your strength. The Lord alone, no other. And idols um, keep us from loving the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength. So before we leave, I have a challenge for us. We're told hundreds of times. I tried to like do a count, but there are too many. Do not forget, remember, you know, there are too many things for me to know. But I believe that this is in the Bible. I'm going to say hundreds of times. Not to forget, to remember God's faithfulness. So, of course, there's something to that. When God, when we see a repeated message to us over and over, don't forget God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Just think about how many times in the scripture it, it retells the story of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how many times in the scripture it talks about the way that the Lord rescued um, the Israelites from Egypt. There's, a, there's something about retelling stories and, and retelling stories of God's faithfulness. When you relive God's goodness in your life, your, something about your, your body even changes. Your mind changes versus writing a gratitude list. I think writing gratitude lists is great. But when you relive and you retell a story, your body goes to joy. You smile. It really does change. You know, your mind, your body, you move to gratitude. Retelling these stories of God's faithfulness moves us to joy and to gratitude. I want us tonight to pick out a story of God's faithfulness. It could be your salvation story. And I want you to, to, to kind of relive it as you write it out. By the way, years ago, someone asked me, have you ever shared your salvation story with your children? And I was embarrassed to say, no, I don't think my children know how, I, how Jesus worked in my life and how I came to him. So, so I think that's a challenge as well. Make sure that your children, your, your siblings, you know, your parents, tell that story. Share his goodness. Your story might be, uh, your, tonight, your story of um, God's faithfulness could be the way God comforted you. Could be the way God showed up for you. Um, could be the way he, he guided you in a direction. I'll share an example um, just to kind of model what I'm talking about. And, and, you, and you put a name, you name your story. And you've got a rock there. 
You're going to name your story. You're going to write the name of your story on a rock. This is one of my um, God's faithfulness stories. I hope I don't embarrass my daughter. <clears throat> but a lot, actually Deanne and I are in a group together on Mondays. And we always start our group with an appreciation story for this very reason, because it just, it just takes you to just gratitude and appreciation. And this is one of my appreciation stories, and I've named it Graduation. So May of this past year, our family, all my dad, the whole family, we were in Boone for my daughter's graduation. We went and bought flowers. You know, we've got flowers on our laps. I remind her, make sure you tell them how to pronounce your name when you get to the podium so that when they say your name, they say it the right way. So she's up at the podium. I see her whisper to the man. So he, he pronounces her name correctly. She walks across stage to graduate from App State. Jay and I look at each other and just the pride we share to watch our daughter walk across stage. And then she walks across stage and we are just, we are just so proud, so happy. And whenever, and that's God's faithfulness in our lives. That is just a blessing and a goodness um, that we, got, we get to share because of our amazing, beautiful daughter. Um, and anytime I'm kind of down, Anytime I'm stressed, I pull up one of these faithfulness stories. And it really does have an effect on you. There's a reason God said to remember his faithfulness. Don't forget what he's done. So, I'm going to give you some time here to write your own faithfulness, God's faithfulness story in your journal. And then to name it and to write that name on your rock. We'll have about seven minutes to do that, and I do confess I'm not really looking at the time when I say that. When I feel like it's seven minutes, I will ring the bell. We, okay, we feel like it's been close to seven minutes. <laughs> um. Does anybody, maybe one or two people, want to share? Anybody want to share a story of God's faithfulness in your life? Lowell? Yeah. Oh, Sarah's got one too. Mine is um, absent of human interaction where there's probably a whole lot more miracles. But my dad was a minister. He was a wonderful man, but I never was particularly influenced or believing until college botany class. Um, we were asked to pick any plant we want, and we were taught how to make a slide of it and look under the microscope. And I had spent all of my summers at Cape Cod where we had a lot of pine trees. And so I chose a pine needle, mm. and I made a cross-section. And then when I looked at it under the microscope, I was overwhelmed by the beauty <laughs> and the magnificence 
of that tiny little piece of life. It was like a miracle. It was my time of like the road of Damascus. I'll never forget it. It was uh, powerful. All I was doing was looking in, under the microscope at a pine needle. Wow. That's cool. Great story. Oh, yeah. Let me get to the bell. <laughs> Maybe one more? Okay. Liam. So I met my neighbors because of my mom getting me a dog walking job. About three to four months later, I started going to church with him, um, and he started doing wondrous things for me as my faith changed. Before all this, my life was very sad, but now I live in joy, and the Holy Spirit is with me. I now preach and teach his name and word to others at school and online. Thank you, Liam, for sharing that with us. That was beautiful. Well, thank you guys so much. We're going to close up our night. Uh, Bob's going to read this scripture as we close, and then he's going to pray, and we will see you next week, week 10. But watch out. Be careful. Never forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live, and they will teach their children to fear me also. Father, we just heard two examples of your faithfulness where you showed yourself to two precious people. What an incredible gift it is that you yourself reveal, your, reveal you to us. To, you shine the light of your son into our hearts. It's such an amazing gift that we can approach you that we can know you, that we can love you and be loved by you. Help us to never forget that. We need your help. We are such a people, I am at least, a people who forget. Thanks for this time we could share tonight. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. And if you didn't get a timeline and you'd like to purchase a timeline, we have those. All right, see you guys next week.